Welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers, podcast number 55. A big welcome back to anyone who's returning, and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week's podcast is my very first part two podcast. In episode number 54, we got a chance to hear from Charlie Miller, legendary Grateful Dead taper. Charlie brought to me so many amazing music picks that it was decided to make this into a two-part podcast because there was just so many songs to fill the air. So we left off at the end with drums from December 31st, 1990 into 91. And here on Podcast 55, I'm going to welcome you back with space from the same show. So I hope everybody enjoys. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in a couple weeks. Stranger Stopping Strangers listeners, this is our first ever second set two-part podcast. Welcome again, Charlie Miller to Stranger Stopping Strangers. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show. We are back. Or as Bobby right says, we'll be back in just a minute. So we are now back from just a minute. So we went out with some drums over New Year's and it's now officially uh, 1991 here with a little space. We're going to move along because there's, gosh, I mean, there's just so many great songs to pick. And we still have like a bunch of fun stories and songs. This is the second set. The next song that you would like to talk a little bit about and share with the listeners is a Peggy O from March 27th, 1985. I was, oh, this was the first time that... The Grateful Dead played a general general admission show at Nassau Coliseum, unless they did it in 73, and I wasn't aware of it, but they never did it in the 79 or 80, 81, 82, 85, they're GA, and I'm front row in front of Phil, and 
I took some LSD from some guy from Alaska, who, whatever. And uh, it was an interesting night, to say the least. But they had opened <laughs> up the show with trucking. I mean, they're opening up the show with trucking. I thought that was just insane. And then they went into Smokestack, and then Matthew Kelly came out. And I'm front row, and it's just like, wow, this just keeps getting better and better. How can it get better? Well, they drop into high time. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be one of those nights. And it was. It was like one of the most epic nights. Don't know why they haven't released it yet once again, but the first set has a Peggio that stands out beyond any other Peggio I've ever heard. This one has a solo that keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And when you think that's, that's as far as it's going to go, it keeps going and it keeps, it's just really, really good. And it's so beautiful and so tight. And uh, the way they just drop back in from the solo and, um, you know, the, the drummers were just so perfect. Every, everything was just right on. One of those moments. This is why we go to see the Grateful Dead. Absolutely. No, I'm uh, no, I'm excited to hear it. You know, it's funny. When I hear Peggio, when I hear just the the name of the song Peggio, I I'm kind of I have like a really shameful story. I'm gonna I'm gonna share this. And maybe after like sharing it on the podcast, I'm gonna get it off of my chest and not feel so like <laughs> shameful about it. Like I have to expunge this feeling. But Again, as I said, even early in the podcast, you know, there were, there are many years where, you know, I'd go back to my core, the core songs that I loved. I mean, the core songs, like a Shakedown or Boxer Rain or Althea. I mean, the catalog that was my go-to catalog for so many years was fairly extensive. I mean, it wasn't like a, uh, you know, a truck and sugar magnolia type of catalog, but it didn't have, it did not have everything in it. And Peggy O was just not in, you know, one of the original you know, things that I would, would be in my rotation, my, you know, my playlist. Oh, that I would be on. it was me. Just, Absolutely. It, it was just never anything I gravitated toward. Like I said earlier, the ballads, I'm more of an upbeat than I am a ballad person. And so the, the songs in the rotation were far more, again, of like the Scarlet Begonias or I don't know, trying to catch Sunflower, you know, like things that were more of a upbeat songs. There this was, was the one that changed it for me. This well, is the I, one that made me see the song differently. Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure when it changed. I think it was when I heard Bobby sing it solo last fall. Early, so it wasn't in the list. And there was some Facebook thread that I jumped onto that somebody asked, which, you know, I always thought would be kind of an interesting question even for the podcast. But then it sort of reeks of some negativity, which is, you know, what's your bathroom break song? Like, what's the song that you're like, all right, you know, I got to go pee now and I'm going to do it. You know, it's not that you don't like the song, but in the grand scheme of everything you can hear, what's the, what's your bathroom break song? And I was on this Facebook thread and I put Peggy O as my bathroom break song. Oh my God. And the yeah. hate that I got, the hate that I got from that thread, like it shaved me. Like, oh my God, how could you have Peggy O as your bathroom break song? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, asked, you know, and, uh, oh, and, and I, I love, I mean, I do now. I, I, I used to, I, I wouldn't say it was my bathroom break song. I would just say I would just never go out of my way to listen to it. But like, once again, this show changed it for me. And 92088 at Madison Square Garden, that's another Peggy O that completely changed it for me. Those two Peggy O's, but this one, this one here. Read 2885 Nassau Coliseum. You listen to this Peggio. And the thing about it is it's a fast Peggio. 
it's, mm-hmm. it's really very upbeat, which is another thing that makes it interesting. Well, that's probably what like looped you in. And then I think once you're like into the yep. melody, then you're then you're we're, we're open minded to shifting. What's interesting to me is it was when Bobby was playing solo it was when he was doing the campfire tour. And I think I was listening to a stream of it. He, I remember the moment I was listening to a stream of it and he was in Los Angeles at Amoeba Records and I was listening to it live, you know, via whatever, you know, online. And he started playing it and I was like, I really like that song. And then I realized the song I really liked was the song I had just recently put as the bathroom break song. And I was sort of mortified by it. And then he played it. I want to say he played it when I saw him at the Capitol Theater. I definitely heard Dead and Company play it. And then, yeah, all in. Love the song. Wish I never did that. I'm glad it's off my chest. (laughs) And I'll never fall down a rabbit hole of ever picking a bathroom break song online. Like, because I think it's, changes in my own mind and I don't think I'll ever put that out into the universe again that's funny no it's such a negative thing it was always I thought it'd be a fun question to ask people on the podcast and I'm glad I didn't because it's you know I don't know it's it's kind of a hater conversation let's go in let's go back to March 27th 1985 Nassau Coliseum Peggy O and then we'll be back right on cool
Peggy O now, and we were just talking about songs that are, you know, again, like the top of the list, uh, the middle of the list, songs that, you know, maybe turn you around from certain versions. I want to hear a bit about the story behind the next song on your list, which is Looks Like Rain, which was September 21st, 1982. Tell me, Charlie Miller, why did this song make the list? My buddy Brad, who passed away in a car accident way, way long ago. Uh, he was my tour buddy. He and I were meeting in Madison Square Garden for the show, and we were both taking the railroad in from various cities on Long Island. So we bought, both thought it would be a good idea to pick up a bunch of acid to share with the other person. So when we both showed up, we both had an abundance of acid to share with each other. And I, Not to interrupt, <laughs> but I love that you have an abundance of acid to share with each other, right? Like not <laughs> like amongst the two of you. Like I'm not going to a party and I've got a bunch of acid. Like I've got a bunch of acid for the two of us to share. I don't think I've ever heard us. that yeah. before. Yeah, why not? Well, why not? So... I was really, really, really high. I think, I think actually, if I remember correctly, I think I only ate three and a half hits. Um, I think I, I, I think I saved like a little bit for New Haven. <laughs> um, so we're Madison Square Garden, and I'm really, really, really high. And um, I mean, they opened up the show with um, what's bizarre is John Shear, the promoter, came out and was introducing the band. They had these, these spotlights and these big cameras, like they were making a movie or something. It was just really bizarre. And then they opened up the show playing in the band, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. So it was a really, really crazy night. So let me just set the atmosphere and the mood for you. I was, I was high. They played this, this looks like rain in this set that it was like, I felt like I was watching them construct the song. They weren't playing it. It was like watching each person do something that do their thing that put it together. I, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, I was I was I was high. It was awesome. And so we just stood out, you know. It was just one of the most magical sets. It was just freaking awesome. 
Well, but, and it's uh, still the uh, test uh, of time. I mean, that was what, 35 years yeah. ago? I mean, you know, to pull yeah. that out now as a chosen set list of all of the songs and all of the years. And, and some of these songs, again, even precede you going to the shows like in 1970. So, it, you know, it, I have to think all of these songs just have to be purely magical for you or else why would you have picked them, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's absolutely. so cool. What Looks Like Rain is one of the songs that, again, it's situational for me. I think sometimes I love it, sometimes not as much. I think probably the most memorable Looks Like Rain was just recently for me at when I saw the Dead & Company play at SPAC. And for anyone who's listening that was at SPAC, Hey Now, the Northeast, and Summer Tour 2017, that was a memorable on. Looks Like Rain. Because, you know, the whole Bobby controls the weather and, you know, it was kind of rainy. Is it going to rain? It's not going to rain. It is going to rain. It's kind of muddy. People were camping. We're at Saratoga. You know, was, everyone's kind of out in the woods. And it was the first set and he started playing Looks Like Rain and it rained. And then there was this beautiful rainbow behind us. So that's, that's kind awesome. of spectacular. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I have to say that. That's like that, Vegas that was, 92. Yeah, and they they uh, start to rain, and Bobby played "Looks Like Rain," and then and all of a sudden the rain went away, and there was a triple rainbow. It was crazy, but yeah, so I love that it's... stuff. Saratoga is great for weather stuff. You know, when it rains, you get some cool stuff there. '83, we had the we had the uh, lightning behind the mountains during "Fire in the Mountain," and uh, the lightning during the wheel. That was oh, crazy. Wow. wow. That's cool. That's, that's so fucking cool. No, it was. So uh, yeah, so this, this looks like rain. It just, um, you know, and, and as, as out of my head as I was, I remember every second of that night, you know, and I, I remember almost every second of every show I went to. I saw 188 shows. This, this looks like rain really stood out as, um, it's just one of those things. Well, let's hear it. Another so interesting, this, this was the first tour with the Grateful Dead's new PA. This is when Ultrasound came in, and they had their new PA, new speakers, and they weren't running the, the JBLs. They were running, uh, they were running Meyer. And, uh, yeah, sounded awesome, well, too. Well, let's go in and hear it. Let's go hear the Looks Like Rain, and this is Madison Square Garden, and it is September 21st, 1982. So uh, let's enjoy. Right. right on. I woke today. Fell just out of bed. The covers were still warm where you'd been laying. You were gone. My heart was filled with dread. You might not be sleeping here again. But it's all right, cause I love you And that's not gonna change Run me around 
Make me hurt again and again But I'll still sing you love songs Written in the letters of your name Brave the storm to come For it surely looks like rain Did you ever wake into the sun Those street cats making love And guess from their cries You was listening to a thing Well, you know Haste is the last thing they're thinking of They're only trying to make it through the night Cause it surely looks like rain All my life I've seen rain and rain and rain Here come the rain Every day I've seen rain and rain and rain and rain Here come the rain 
They say into each lap a little rain must fall. But it just ain't fair when you get it all. No. I said, rain, rain, go away. I can't take no more rain today. Go away, go away. I said, rain, rain, go away. Can't take no more rain today. No. Looks like rain, and this is uh this is this is really cool. So I'm uh, I'm I'm really enjoying the conversation and 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 getting to hear you know some of the the backstories behind some of the the top picks from Mr. Charlie Miller. Um, the next one is right about I want to say when I started listening, but not going to shows yet. So the next show, the next song that you have picked is Jack Straw, and this is from April sixth, nineteen eighty seven. So where were we and what was going on? We were at the um, 
we were at the Meadowlands Arena. I think this is the year they changed it from the Brendan Burns to the Meadowlands, or maybe I don't know. It used to be the Brendan Burn, but either way, we're in New Jersey. I, I was pretty pretty sober this night. I just remember the energy. Once again, Spring Tour '87. You know, Jerry's back, and he's you know he's got his shit together. He looks clean. He's looks healthy and sounds great. And the band was on fire. So this night was just really, really one of those crazy nights. The interesting thing about the two nights that the two nights they played is there was no jam. They did absolutely no jam um, either night whatsoever. It was kind of a bummer, but it was still great energy. So um, no jam meaning so, like no space and drop? No, no jam. No, no. Yeah. no th- this show was like same circumstance, and then the song ended, and they went right into drums. And then uh, the next night it was Women Are Smarter. That's right. That's right. Boom, right into drums. It was no jam, although. The, this show, the 4687 that we're talking about, this show, out of drum space, they did Terrapin Station, other one, Stella Blue, Sugar Magnolia, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I think that might be the only, I think I only saw them do a post-drums Terrapin maybe twice. It's not something you'd see. And uh, so that was kind of interesting, but... They did a. They ended the first set with Jack Straw and to deal, and the Jack Straw that night builds up to this this crescendo of energy. Just the place erupts, and you can hear it on the recording. It's a it's an Ultra Matrix recording, with uh, the band was doing with the with audience mics mixed in to make it sound like you're there. And it's really cool. Yeah, it just you know, and you can hear the band feeding off the energy. One thing I love about this song, um, and then um, there's only really a handful of songs that I feel like are like this, is uh, there really is no lead. I mean, it's one of the ultimate collaborations of the band, you know? I mean, Brett yeah. was a big part of it. Bob was a big part of it. Jerry was a big part of it. And now watching the streams of the Dead & Company, they're on Fall Tour 2017, and, and they were playing this recently, and I was and, and love the way they're kind of following in that um, tradition where – you know, you have these amazing vocalists, and they all get to jump in and and meld what they have into the song, and it's not just a lead vocal on one or the other. And and I love that about this song. I mean, the song kind of feels like a Bobby song to me because it's just got that I don't know. It's got that sort of cowboy Bobby, you know, the story behind it, such a cool story. So I think of Bobby, but when I really think about listening to it, it's it's an all in song, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think of I mean, I don't I know think, why I think of Bobby, but I do. I think of Bobby, but I don't really think he's the lead. No, no, that's it's it's kind of I always I I understand it because it seems like it's a Bobby song, but Jerry is Bobby sings lead with Jerry singing backups. Bobby used to sing the whole song at first. Um, so it changed. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, that's probably yeah, why you think it that way. First, yeah, Bobby. It was in '71. They you know, it used to be all Bobby, then Jerry starts singing some. But the cool thing about this song is. It's a great show opener. You know, it starts off nice and slow, you know, kind of just kind of gets you going a little bit. And by the end of the song, you're you're dancing so hard. You know, it just they kind of ease you into it with with that with that big jam and um yeah. It's a no, it's agree. a great way to start a show. But this is this is at the end of the set. And <laughs> this is just like I said, it's it's balls to the wall energy, man. Right on. Well, let's go in. Let's go back to April 6th, 1987 at the Meadowlands. And here's some Jack Straw. And then we've got a couple more songs to go. So 
My old buddy are moving much too slow. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Enjoy.
So back from listening to Jack Straw, and uh, yeah, I mean, so we were just talking. I mean, the majority of these songs are East Coast songs, and you are how many years? Where are you from? Where did you Where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Long Island. Long from Island. Long Island. Okay, I I knew East Coast, but I wasn't sure exactly where. So you come from the East Coast, and then you lived in the West Coast, but of course you toured yeah. all over, all over. So I mean, how would you describe? I'm gonna I will do like a lightning route. I'm going to put an, an area and tell me like if you think there's a distinctive vibe to it. So, okay. So the East Coast, like uh, Long Island, New York, Massachusetts, that whole area. What's the vibe you put to it? I think it's like straight up rock and roll. They're a rock band. Different on the West Coast. When others on the East Coast, you know, it was this whole thing where, oh, the West Coast heads always think they're better than us, and they think they know everything, and, you know, they know more, and they know this. And, that. and I moved out to the West Coast, and after being in the West Coast for a while, I was like, oh, I understand. Because you're out on the West Coast, and, you know, the bands here, you really do know more because you're just, like, right here, you know, all these other little gigs that pop up and all this information. Because there's always somebody you know who knows somebody. And, um and uh, so it's definitely a different vibe. But when I moved to the West Coast, actually, I never moved to the West Coast. I came out in 1989 in February. There was three shows in Oakland and then three shows in L.A. And I did those six shows and called my fiance and said, I'm not coming home. And I never left. So I've been here. <laughs> this is this is a 10-day vacation from February 89 that just hasn't ended. So, no, when I came out here for a while, I realized that, you know, and I'd been out here for about three years, and I went back in 92 and 93 to see the dead on the East Coast. It was completely different. It was a straight-up rock and roll, you know, straight up. Everything was just, like, really high energy, really, really high energy. And um, So my next question to that would be, what about the Midwest? Like, what's it like when you're in, like, you know, Wisconsin or Colorado or where, what's the vibe like when you're, you know, not at that, you know, Northeast and you're not in the California, you know, Oregon, Washington, that area? Like, where does it switch or is there a totally third different vibe for the rest of the country? You know, I think, you know, the Midwest is, is kind of got a, a kind of a cool space here feel to it. I felt that the stuff that I saw them do in the Midwest kind of a uh, not – not so much as a laid back thing or, or, or a group thing like in California, but it just kind of, it had a different, I don't know how to explain it. I had like a deeper feel to it. Just the way they played, it, you know, things just like Deer Creek in, in 93 and some of the shows I saw in Chicago. And uh, it just had some, had really cool, like almost bluesy feel to it, you know? Well, that makes sense for that part of the country. And, you know, thinking yeah. about it, I mean, I would imagine, and this is certainly not a statistic, it's just my imagination, but I would imagine that in the Midwest, you probably had more people traveling for the shows. I mean, I think if you were in New York or, this, yeah. or you're in, you know, like you live there, so you're catching your local shows. And certainly being in the Bay Area, there was that. Like, I never traveled far because I didn't have to. Like, Cal Expo was a road trip. But I would imagine if you lived in, like, Indiana or Nebraska or Wisconsin or one of these states, like, when they would come to one of the venues, I bet you had people that came from the farthest distance, you know, that, like, really made that their trip. They were either the people on tour for the whole tour or there isn't probably as many local people to those venues, right? Yeah. Their, their whole touring pattern sometimes baffled me. But, like, like in, in 93, every show that we went to on the summer tour, you're either going through a city 
that you're going to be going through later on in the tour or that you've already gone to. So you, everything, you just kept going back and forth past the same cities. It, it was kind of weird, laid out really bizarre. I understand working the business now that I, I understand it more that, you know, sometimes that's the way it works logistically with schedules. And, and you got to be somewhere, you know, whether you're traveling four hours here or there every day to a gig, it, you know, it doesn't matter which direction it is. You got to go somewhere. So. Well, and everyone but, wants to see them. You know, nobody feels yeah. like they're getting enough. I mean, I think like Florida, I feel like people in Florida feel like they don't get enough or the Denny company yeah. are going to Florida and Texas and they didn't do Texas very often. I mean, not very few Texas shows, right? Yeah. Well, they were in the nineties in like 93, they, you know, they were started designing the, the tours. We were told that they were designing the tours get people to stop following them so because they were the, the shows even in 93 94 the stadiums were too were not were too small for them they've outgrown stadiums because it was just insane the shows are sold out there's a million people trying to get in and there's just people you know there's a lot of fucked up things going on i i don't think that they knew how to handle the whole thing but they took it in 94 they took the 93 summer tour and reversed it if you look at it, it's it's like it's, it's like the same thing, just backwards. I, I after doing the '93 summer tour, I, I skipped not the '94 summer tour because it was just absurd. I don't want to have to go through that again, just going back and forth through the same cities, you know. And in the Midwest, they the, another the difference between the Midwest and then the West Coast is in the Midwest they really don't like us there. The cops, the the, the business people like that we spend money. But the majority of the people did not like us. See that? I could see that. You know, band from Alpine Valley. You got band. I mean, band from fucking San Francisco. How the fuck did they get banned from San Francisco? Happened. I know the event, but it's just still how. How does that? Yeah. Happen? No. So, so what so, is the event? I don't know the story. Share the story. In January 1987, my my apartment faced this this whole thing, and um, I didn't live there at the time, but I. Having lived there, I can totally see how this could happen. In 1987, the Grateful Dead played three nights at the San Francisco Civic Center, which is now the Bill Graham Auditorium. This was right after the coma, you know. So mm -hmm. everybody was everybody wanted to go to the shows. The uh, Civic Center in in front of the um, city hall, in front of all the courts oh, yeah. and everything, the library and, and the auditorium. Everybody turned into uh, tent city. It was, yeah, yeah, everybody camped out. Everybody camped out. And that was it. You know, well, and it's right every, near the Tenderloin, too, right? I mean, if you think yes, about that yep. area, I mean, it's the yep. sketchiest part of San Francisco. I mean, Absolutely. it really, San Francisco is a pretty yeah. safe city. And that, that, those, you know, 10 square blocks, I mean, they sketch me out. I mean, when I, I won't walk through them. When we went to a Dead and Company in 2015, and they played at the Civic Center. I mean, it's such a beautiful venue. It's such an amazing place. And I remember seeing Jerry Garcia shows there. Ninety, they let us camp. I mean, they had, I didn't camp, but they were letting people set up stuff then. They were cool then, you know. In '87, though, it got out of hand, I guess. But I could see where it would. I absolutely could. And again, when you're back to back with the Tenderloin, I mean, you know, it's probably yeah. hard to be able to tell who's the deadhead and you know who's the you know. Plus it's the resident, <laughs> you know, it's it's the only, I, I, you know, it's not the only. It's the uh, they only played there what eighty three and eighty four, eighty seven. So it was like people really wanted to go because you know it's a small venue, and once again Jerry coming back from the coma, it turned out to be like 
some of the worst Grateful Dead of the year. Um, it was really bad, very sloppy, really just, it was just really bad. But, um, but, um, it's a beautiful spot though. I mean, it's such a beautiful yeah. venue. I mean, inside. Yeah, absolutely. Just how oh, it's I saw Screen Cheese there. I saw Jerry Garcia band there. I saw, um, oh gosh, who else did I see? Oh, oh, I saw Widespread Panic play there for two days. When I lived across the street, and I saw them. It was my birthday in 2000. They played my birthday and then the day after. Uh, one last thing, and then we'll go into the next thing. I mean, this topic totally plays back into the whole East Coast, West Coast, sort of where we started this conversation, full circle. Because, so being a West Coaster, you know, obviously I only went to shows in the West Coast. And when I, my first East Coast dead-related experience was going to the Dead & Company in November 2015 at Worcester. Um, at the DCU Center, which was the Spectrum. And, I mean, that's a pretty small venue. It was filled. There wasn't the halls, like, trying to go to the bathroom. There was a lot of fucking people in that space. I mean, for it didn't feel too crowded when the band was on, but when they weren't, there just wasn't a lot of extra wiggle room within the building, you know, when they weren't playing. And it was great. I mean, at the best time, it absolutely, you know, jumped me right back down the rabbit hole. And then I went to December, oh, it was like 29th at the uh, Civic Center when I went back home for Christmas. And it was the ultimate, like, juxtaposition of the East Coast, West Coast, because I had had no reference to the East Coast. So I was going to the show in the East Coast, what, six, eight weeks before, and then being at the Civic Center, it you really got that, again, that, like, that mellow, open, because also I think the venue was so much bigger. There was so much fucking space compared to the DCU uh -huh. Center. It was amazing. You know, it's like, it's just so interesting to think at, about all these things. And again, how they all go full circle, these stories. Yes, absolutely. 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 And Kat was there. Kat, hey, we, I mean, we yeah. talked about New Year's yeah. Eve. We didn't do a, we have not done an official shout out to Kat. So, Charlie's Angel, <laughs> number one, Katie Brown. Hey, What's up, what Kat? Or Katie Brown, as we were back in the day. So it was Kat and Morgan and my sister and Liz that went to the show with all together at the uh, Civic Center. And it was uh, her husband Morgan's first show going to, and they played Mississippi Half Step, and he's from Mississippi, so I'll always, always right remember. It's super fucking fun. So it was awesome. Well, so we are going to go into another song. So the next song that is on your list is Bertha, and it's from 1979. So tell us a little bit about this pick. Let's see. I met this guy. I don't remember his name. I met this guy in line at Nassau Coliseum buying tickets. Um, it was in 1980, and um, they were putting tickets on sale for the May shows. He was a taper, and so I got his number, and he had taped this show, this September 5th, 1979, so he gave me a copy of it. It was one of the couple of shows he had taped. It was one of my first tapes. You know, I maybe had about 40 or 50 tapes at that point. Funny, I think like 50 tapes is one of my first tapes. <laughs> Most people think 50 tapes is a lot. Not an hour scene, but okay. So, so I listened to this, and in Bertha, at the end when they're just all doing those, they're hitting those chords and during the test me, test me, why don't you arrest me? And Jerry's screaming, throw me in the jailhouse, and they all come crashing down. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that's just like, wow. You know, and it's it's best with the audience because you can really feel the energy puts you back. East Coast, New York City, that energy, Madison Square Garden. 
the energy at the garden. I got to see the Grateful Dead there many, many times between 1981 to 1993. I saw it just about every show there. You know, the place is just magical. But I was not at this show. I didn't start seeing the band for, for another couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Fun. I love Bertha. That's such a fun song. I mean, again, I just love the dancing. I love the ones that just get the crowd in a frenzy and everyone's just like, you know, busting their moves and, you know, in these tight spaces, in their seat, in the hall. Like, oh, my God, so much fun. So much it's fun. The, it's the end of the show, too. It's not the beginning of the show, which is a totally different birth. This is the end of the show. And they're just got this really, they're coming out of I Need a Miracle. They're, they're going, in, you know. It's in between I Need a Miracle and Good Loving. They kind of felt like oh my a God, birth. So, yeah, so wow. it's got some really great, it's got really, really great energy. The tempo, the tempo is super cool. High octane, I'm sure. High octane tempo. High octane. But yeah, the audience on that tape is great. Right on. Well, let's go in and hear it. And then we have one last song for everyone that we're going to talk about and play. And we'll say goodbye. So everybody enjoy listening to Bertha, Madison Square Garden on September 5th, 1979. Go uh, go dance around, whether you're in your car, you're at work, or wherever you are. Get up and uh, do a little dance. <laughs> right on.
to Bertha, September 5th, 1979, and we have one last song to close us out on, and uh, let's uh, let's hear a little bit about Death Don't Have No Mercy on September 29th, 1989, what was going on? Well, right after the Grateful Dead played their three nights at Shoreline in, in uh, June 89, they announced that they were coming back for another three nights in uh, September 29th, 30th, October 1st which were absolutely fabulous shows. But the really outstanding thing about this September 29th is this was the first night that Jerry had his new MIDI guitar. It was exciting because he was playing the flute in the middle of anything and, or whatever. It was just crazy. And they did a lot of songs that night with a lot of jams, bird song, playing the band, a lot of things where they can really open it up and Jerry can, you know, play with his his new thing there and there's a lot of equipment problems too they had to stop the second set in the middle i was um i had got tickets somehow managed to get tickets third row in front of bobby wow but it was actually between bobby and brent a little bit but i was like third row seats right in shoreline right in the pavilion there and um they broke into death don't have no mercy and keep in mind they had not played this in 19 years and yeah, that was the last thing anybody was expecting was to have them bust this out, you know. No. And it was the craziest thing because this is one of the songs that really, really, really had a big influence on me um, when I was younger. 
And I used to listen to this recording from uh, April 6, 1969, at the Avalon Ballroom, which has a really fabulous Death Don't Have No Mercy. So I always loved that song a lot. And when they played it this night, it just blew my mind. And Bobby sang a verse and Brent sang a, so- a verse. And I-, I wasn't too sure how I felt about that. I thought that I-, I wasn't sure if I liked that, but I realized how tight it was. And I- so I was going with it and absolutely amazed. I remember having a, I called it my Bill Graham, because it was his venue, Bill Graham Grilled Chicken Sandwich. So I'm eating my sandwich, and they started singing Death Don't Have No Mercy. I remember dropping it, and uh, I remember I was tripping, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and when they got to the solo, Jerry's solo, it is the best guitar solo that man ever did. Yeah, the best. Wow. Absolutely the best. And I have always said that. And I was at my apartment in 1990. We were listening to the Grateful Dead Hour, and Dave again said, now this next song is the best guitar solo Jerry ever did. And I said, oh, yeah, Death Don't Have No Mercy, Shoreline Amphitheater. Ah, that's beautiful. And and that's what it was. And the the irony is the tape that I put out, I got from David Gans. I'm like, give me that tape you played on the radio. So we put that out, and it's absolutely killer. Jerry's just, you know, like I said, third row, right in front of the stage, just, you know, it, it was really good. The, the, it's a really great place to see a show when you're up front. I don't think I've ever been that close. I've been in the pavilion. I haven't been that close. But, I mean, I can just picture it. And Jerry, with toy. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, I got to spend April 12, 1983. I was front row for the first set in front of Brent and I was in the stage pit for the second set. The security guard was really nice. You know, I chatted him up, you know, I set up break and he let me in the stage pit for the second set and they played help on the way and that was pretty huge. <laughs> that was wow. a lot of fun. But yeah, so this, this Death Don't Have No Mercy. Absolutely, absolutely like amazing, amazing solo by, by Jerry. Well, let's go enjoy it and then we'll come back with a little sign off and goodbye. Right on, man. Death don't have no mercy. In this land, you know, death don't have no mercy in this land. In this land, come to your house, you know, it don't take long. Look in the bed, find your old mama is gone. You don't have no mercy in this land. See now, death don't take no vacation.
in his land I said death will leave you Standing and crying have no mercy and this was just so much fun i'm so glad that we got to reconnect again and social media what a crazy world we live in so much fun right on absolutely i had a listener ask if i would ever have you on the show can i think it was like a literally can you get charlie miller on the show and i was like i don't know you know i haven't talked to him in a while but um i'll certainly say hey now and you were so nice and got yeah, you got right back to me and we, you know, exchanged some stuff and sent a picture of Kat and I and, you know, what was up and, uh, and this is I awesome. Will, so I will talk Grateful Dead tapes anytime. Okay. So for all the other podcasts out there where you just put the saucer of milk out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a stranger stopping strangers exclusive. Charlie exactly. Miller exclusive, exactly. exclusive, uh, interview. Well, thank you, and I definitely hope our paths will cross um, out on the road because there's a lot of good music to be seen, and you are still out there taping and soaking it in as much as possible, right? Right, absolutely. Right on. Well, thank you so much, and uh, thank you. Until we, I just I think this is awesome. All right, well, let's say goodbye to the listeners. Bye. Bye. Everybody is praying in the 
listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.